Welcome back to Mind Rolling, and I'm Raghu Marcus. Accompanied by David Silver. And, uh, you know, I, I think that um, the blame for today's podcast will probably have to... I'd like to put it on your head, actually, because uh, we have this absolutely downer of a podcast coming right now. I mean, it is, it is the thing that nobody wants to ever think about. Uh, and, and we're not talking about death, although death is involved. Yes, we're going to talk about death. We I are? Love I love talking about death, yes. Well, I thought it was going to... <laughs> get out. You're the worst hypochondriac I've ever met, except for me. Yeah, well, I just know that I want to talk about my own death. It's other people's. Um, that, that, that's okay, huh? This, this is Mr. Compassion over here. Yeah, well, I never claimed anything. I don't claim anything. Oh, good. Yeah, neither of us claim shit. That's no. right. <laughs> we just don't. Um, no, so, uh, you know, I'll take responsibility because uh, I saw an article by actually, it's, he's a, a friend of ours, friend of many of us in our little gang here, Indian gang. And his name is Bar- Mark Epstein. He's an exceptional uh, psychiatrist in New York, and uh, because he's also a has been a a very a practicing Buddhist for many years. I see him. Uh, we Mark and I usually only meet around uh, the Dalai Lama because he loves His Holiness, and so many of us are there then. Anyhow, Mark wrote an article. The Trauma of Being Alive, which is unfortunately has been very apropos for many of us. And uh, this year we've lost a, a, quite a few people. And, uh, you know, that's been a real wake-up call. And when I saw this article, um, I thought that uh, this is worthy of us, uh, of us having a chat about, Dave. Most definitely, because uh, it's just something we have to tackle. And when it's been imminent, or that's not quite the right word, uh, when it's been recent, uh, you you know, you, you can't help but dwell on it a little bit, because it's, it's full of paradox. That's my feeling about it. Because um, if you're on any kind of... I hate the word spiritual. I don't know why I hate that word. Uh, but it just embodies some sort of vibe that I don't feel quite covers what we do here, but um, you're on a path to some sort of sense of reality and truth. Uh, one of the things that happens in every tradition I think that I care about, and certainly the tradition in one's own heart, is uh, you know detachment. And it's so easy to be detached about certain things. It's very hard to be detached when a loved one, be it a human being or an animal, um, dies. Can I uh, just jump in and ask you what do you mean by detachment? Detachment being not being attached to the world because it will pass soon. And uh, the, um, the, the only thing that we know is absolutely true is impermanence. So being attached to things uh, means that you're attached to the external aspect of life. And therefore, you will be disappointed at some point. Uh, the TV will die. The car will break down. Your friend will get a disease. Your cat will get run over. Whatever. It's, you know, it's just things pass. Well, and as George Harrison said, all things, all things must pass. Must, yeah, must no, pass. Absolutely. Um, and even, even our 
great man's best friends. So, um, who just had his word there to let me know that he wasn't, she, she wasn't going to pass, and hopefully she won't for a long time. But that's what I mean by detachment. For me, detachment Just to jump in, David did a a film, uh, we did, well, he did a film for a record company we were starting a long time ago, and it's called Jazz Dogs. And those dogs have been with us throughout the Mind Rolling podcasts. <laughs> okay, that's another. Yeah, they, I they, just, make, they make very good comments because they make them at crucial times when we're actually saying something. <laughs> probably my, my definition of detachment was very attached to something. Um, no, you know what? I'd just like to, to bring in a couple of things around detachment. Uh, first of all, the attachment you're speaking of, of course, you know, that's how the, you know, that is endemic to everybody who's living on the planet. Uh, except for those uh, rare beings that have uh, completely realized themselves and have not got any of that going. But for us little guys, I would say that when we start to talk about trauma, which is just part of everyday life, I think we have to just separate out the TV breaking and, uh, you know the meal being shit, uh, you can't find a bath, you know, whatever, you know, lightweight kind of trauma, all the way to stuff that really wakes you up all of a sudden uh, out of whatever uh, reverie and, you know, however caught you are in the day, we are in the day to day. So I think that when you start to talk about people that are dying, that are close to you, that have died, that are close to you, that are very sick, etc., um, I know this because I know this. I am thinking of what Maharaji used to say to us. I am closest to we are. I don't know. You say I or we closest to God in the hospital, by the sick bed, by in the crematorium, in the cemetery, and that always stuck with us all. Now, so I I really do believe that. Um, and and you can tell me, David has uh, more fully um, read and annotated this <laughs> article, but are we, are, you know, there is a, um, a way in which this kind of trauma is an opportunity to wake up. I know that it happened to me, and I described it on another podcast with my father. Talk, you know, attachment, attachment to parents and children and so on. I mean, there's nothing more powerful family than that. And he was going, and I sat with a friend who I had been in India with, and we just went completely into a very, very deep place for him. And it was a... I didn't have any real name for it, uh, but later on I was describing this, and those of you who listen to Ram Dass Here and Now podcast, uh, you... You may have heard this story already, but I thought I'd just, it's perfect for what we're talking about. And I heard Ramdas talk about, when I'm with the dying, I am on the edge of awakening. And I, as soon as I heard him say that, as I was going through the tape to, to prepare it for the podcast, I thought, shit, that's, what, that's exactly what I felt at that moment, just on the edge of the truth, awakening to the truth. And then I thought, well, the only other time that I have had that experience is uh, with Neem Karoli Baba, with Maharaji. 
and sitting there where there was no time and space, just an essence that is was you know is was undescribable. Uh, to say it's love is is it's almost demeaning of it because it's so much more full than that. Emptiness is part of it. So the, the, I those two places from completely different one from a. a uh, a trauma now the trauma of losing your parent is you know in the moment that I was there with my father we were right in that moment of meditation we were completely uh, beyond trauma not trauma or anything so does Mark talk about this is that part of what we're talking about here well no, not really I mean although I think what you're talking about is that's as important, if not more important. He's really talking about the the the, the trauma and getting over it. Um, the 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 um, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. But I didn't want to diminish what you were just saying because I think it's crucial. Because to me, uh, being in the company, having the honor of being in the company, really, of someone who's passing, uh, is is both the edge of awakening in terms of awakening to the nature of reality, but also. Uh, gaining perspective on what one considers to be traumatic, suddenly, in the presence of, of a, a dying loved one, um, you begin to understand very quickly and, and, and importantly, I think, how you go through so many changes and stressors over nothing, over absolutely bloody nothing. Like an hour before we were doing this podcast, I left my keys in my apartment before I left. Now, I knew there was a duplicate pair downstairs with the doorman. So it was no big deal, even in that you know sort of trivial level. But I still went through a little palpitation about, oh, well, I got to go down the elevator, I got to find the doorman, then he's got to find the thing, then I got to bring them upstairs, and I got to unlock my apartment, I got to take them down. And I actually went through that, which is obviously completely ridiculous and a measure of of my own uh, imbalances. So those kind of you know ridiculously trivial things, building it to a more sort of equally trivial, but you're on a highway, you have a flat. Uh, you know, you have to get out of the jack, you have to do it, there are cars whizzing by you, and you feel traumatized for a moment. Those little ones, in that moment, when you're dealing with the big one, uh, become, uh, become irrelevant. I was with a friend a few weeks ago who was complaining about his lawnmower. That it, wasn't, it just wasn't cutting straight lines on his lawn. <laughs> and I'm usually... Um, quite um, submissive when it comes to my bourgeois friends, but I exploded in anger and said, there are people getting killed by suicide bombers right now in Lahore. What the fuck is the matter with you? <laughs> and he said, David, I'm just trying to live my life. I'm just living my life. While I'm alive, I'm living it. Right now, it's the lawnmower. It's, a, you know, it's an interesting response. Mm. I think the trauma... Well, let's talk about Mark Epstein, too. Mr. Epstein, or Dr. Epstein... Uh, the crucial thing he says in this article is trauma never goes away completely. I think it's very important, a, a really important statement that to me because we're guilted a lot by people guilt us both ways. Oh, that person just went out and bought a new car and his father died three weeks ago. That's one kind of guilting. The other kind of guilting is he's never going to get over the death of that cat. Mm -hmm. You know, so you can't win on this one really. What Mark Epstein says is, if we can just accept the fact that life, daily life, is full of trauma, and that there's no rules about this, so we all have our own exact contours of relief, gradual relief, and that he even says, 
for some people, uh, you know, this will not go away at all. It will uh, reduce in charge. It will reduce in, in energy within one's psyche. Mm. But it may never go away. Um, and I feel that way about certain people myself. I'm sure you do, Raghu. But my father died a long time ago, many decades ago. And I have no grief whatsoever about him, even though I loved him dearly. Time has healed it. I can look at my dad's death and just think, well, you know, he's been gone a long time and I, I loved him while he was alive and he taught me a lot and he was a great human being. But I don't actually feel that pull in the viscera or in the heart anymore. So, yes, I think that it's normal for it to pass. I do. Uh, however, it is very individuated, right, Raga? Very individuated. Um, I actually have found something from what he wrote that I think is a parallel to what I said earlier, actually, around, uh, around these traumas is, is an opportunity to awaken. And so this is what he said. In resisting trauma and in defending ourselves from feeling its full impact, we deprive ourselves of its truth. As a therapist, I can testify to how difficult it can be to acknowledge one's distress and to admit one's vulner vulnerability. My mother's knee-jerk reaction, Should, shouldn't I be over this by now, is very common. He's referring to his mother was ill. There is a rush to normal in many of us that closes us off, not only to the depth of our own suffering, but also as a consequence to the suffering of others. And I add to that what he's saying is we deprive ourselves of its truth. And I think, so there's enormous possibilities of awakening, uh, being around trauma, and at the same time, and you know, let's not forget this because this is all just blah, blah, words of bullshit. When this is happening to you, you have somebody close to you or you yourself are very sick or somebody has died. Uh, we have gone through this just recently with a close family friend whose daughter uh, passed in a tragic uh, bicycle accident. And, you know, the, the Ramdas himself, his, his understanding of it led to him to say, and, you know, there's all sorts of levels of understanding, you know, from intellectual to experiential, that she only had those years that she was on this planet. That's all she needed. She didn't need anything else, and it's impossible for us to comprehend that reality, that truth. Impossible, because it can't be comprehended by the mind. And at the same, so, you know, you, you're just in, you can't let, Go. I mean, the, the enormity of, of the tragedy and the level of, uh, of despair uh, is so great. At the same time, a glimpse of that truth comes in. I know my friend told me that, uh, you know, at many points he absolutely went deep inside into a plane of consciousness where her soul, he was absolutely uh, one with that love that it, it represented and so he got glimpses of the truth in deep meditation and at the same time there's no way to assuage that uh, despair and grief no way but he is a, a you know he's a great example because he's a, a totally conscious person 
and uh, he's he is going up and down and up and down, but at the same time, there is that tiny little thing of awakening that is is always there, and it is forcing him. You know, this suffering is absolutely forcing this uh, this um, confrontation with consciousness. Yeah, Truth. it's it goes both ways, doesn't it? I mean, on the one hand, that um, I'll use the word detachment, but it's the wrong word that Ramda showed in the situation. It's more wisdom, isn't it? Um, that is so helpful. And well, so true. He, he, just to say something about that, because uh, I think it's important. Sorry to interrupt you. Okay. True detachment, which I I believe the word in in uh, Sanskrit is vairag, vairag, v a i r o g, um, is is a discrimination with wisdom. So it's detachment with wisdom. So you you are it's not like you you your compassion is even greater for whatever the trauma is. It's not detachment isn't like okay well I can you know it's been a long time and I don't you know that in the moment it is it is more complete with uh, compassion. That's the way I understand it. You know, it's well, yeah, with it's, wisdom uh, as yeah. you said. Sorry, I think sorry. I think that's yeah I think that's unarguable. I mean. But that's a good definition, that, you know. But it, it, in the in the in the light of day, you know, when you're dealing with it, uh, sometimes it's harder to deal with someone else's trauma than your own, uh, because you don't know what to say. Because words, as you said before, will just drop out of your mouth, and you know, I'm sorry for your loss. People, that's become a cliche. People use it all the time. It's 150,000 times a day on Facebook. I appreciate it, and it shows some compassion from the person. Just, just it just shows the. Uh, the emptiness of words on a whole, on the whole. I think uh, Epstein in the article says that uh, keeping it to yourself doesn't help. Mm. Uh, he does say that. I'm not sure I entirely agree with that. I think that's also individuated. For my own purposes, I do not particularly want to share, except with very, very close people. The rest of the time, I prefer to be silent, actually, when I lose someone. And I don't particularly want to join with hundreds of people <laughs> in memorials. I don't. That's just not my way. Uh, so sometimes I fully I expect you to come to my memorial. Okay. Uh, well, either that or I, I will Skype. But um, <laughs> no, the truth is that he's saying with most people, to get back to what he's actually talking about, that even though it's individuated, it is good to get people to talk. You know, to talk to people about it. The problem is that sometimes talking about it makes it worse rather than better, and you know. It's difficult, this, because coming from Ramdas, you can really kind of go, okay, he's a man of deep intuition, and therefore I trust his intuition. When he says that about a young, very young person that, that passed, uh, it, it has tremendous resonance. Yeah. Uh, we, we, most of us have got to be careful when we say it, because it can actually have a, a bounce-back effect, which yeah. is that the other person can go, well, it's all very well for you to say that. No, but, and people you know, even... You know, I'm freaked. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, and this happens even, you know... If if I might have mentioned this to somebody, um, you know, who who understands it too intellectually, um, they they are very dismissive with me, um, as if you know that's bullshit. You know, the reality is, you know, is this despair? I mean, there's no who can understand that. So, and you're right. That's all. Well, that's I mean, all true know, as well. I guess the Buddhist policy on this is that. 
you know, in life you embrace by awareness both despair and ecstasy, both happiness and sadness. And if you don't expect to have sadness in your life, then you're 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 distorted beyond words. So I guess the 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 the, the sort of implication of that is that you just you accept the despair and the hollow feeling that comes over you and the fact that you you just don't even feel like going to work or doing anything because you've just lost something so precious and it's just going to be a yawning gap in your conscious life. Um, despite that, if you have done some practice of some kind, um, uh, be it Christian practice or Buddhist or whatever, uh, you know, it must be difficult for people with absolutely no you know, faith in anything other than what's in front of them. Because once the thing that was in front of them, be it your father, mother, sister, brother, wife, daughter, dog, cat, um, parakeet, once that's gone, um, if there's no other place, there's no other place in the universe to fit into, then it must be very difficult. And of course, atheists will say, well, you know, that's why you believe in something, so you can comfort yourself in these moments. I don't choose to go that path because I don't believe in anything. So you can't really argue that point. But I, I do believe that the interesting thing that Mark Epstein says in the article is that, you know, uh, trauma is part of our everyday existence. Because even if it isn't, you know, a loved one close to you, you do know if, if, you're, in any way in contact, if you're in any way in contact with the world that, for instance, this morning there was another suicide bombing in Lahore. Uh, there was one a couple of days ago. There were frequent bombings in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, and, you know, you read about it in the paper, and obviously you can't really empathize in the way that it's for a close personal friend or someone you know. But there it is. It hits your psyche. And you know that on this planet of ours, uh, there's all kinds of nastiness going on all the time where innocent people are being killed. And even if they're not being killed by terrorists or, you know, tsunamis, fires in California, uh, floods in Thailand... It's going on all the time. What Epstein is talking about is, I think, um, I'll just quote him for a minute. Uh, you know, he says, Trauma is not just a result of major disasters. It does not happen to only some people. An undercurrent of trauma runs through ordinary life, shot through as it is with the poignancy of impermanence. So a silly person like myself can get upset when uh, a computer dies. Uh, you know, and just sit there and have a frown on my face about it and use some extremely horrible curse words. Uh, you know, that's every day. But also every day is that somebody you know somewhere is getting sick. And um, I, I'm going through that this, right now with a friend. And, you know, um, how can you just be cold and detached about that? You know, uh, you, you feel for the person and, you, you know, it's a subtle line, this whole thing between compassion and detachment. And it's mm. sometimes confusing, I think, for folks, yeah. uh, including myself. You just have to sit with it, you know. Um, well, when he, my, has, he has a prescription. Sorry. By yeah. the way, do, do you think we have depressed our audience and any new... Folks no, that have come. No, they're they're in a, they're a resilient bunch because what the feedback we get, as you know, uh, generally speaking, says that it isn't what we're talking about. It's the it's it's the way we talk about it. So, you know, um, what are we going to talking about? Death and deprivation and destruction and wars and pe what about pestilence? You haven't gotten that in there. Oh, I can do that. Yeah. Pestilence, I'm big on that. You're um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> no, I I look. 
you know, you're not looking at a, a very cold-hearted person. I mean, I saw In Bruges again recently, the Colin Farrell film. And when he oh, dies, I that. My, it's one of my five favorite films of all time. It's a violent film, uh, but a brilliant film, Shakespearean in its, in its, in its depth. Yeah. And when, when Colin and, and, and um, the other guy die in the film, I actually, tears came to my eyes. I was so moved by that film, which says all men and women uh, are, 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 are sort of uh, embraced and caressed by the arms of the universe, no matter what they've done. And in that film, what you see is the whole film is really based on Colin Farrell's, Colin Farrell's character, Ray, being mm. a hitman yeah. and a professional cold-eyed assassin who accidentally kills a child and spends the rest of the film in this terrible state of purgatory as it is. And, you know, uh, when I'm watching the film, I realize, oh, God, you know, when someone dies, every time someone dies, and you've already felt something for them, something goes out of your heart, you know, you just, whoa, whoa, it's, that's, you know, and, and why, do we, why do we despise violence and, and the mafia and the military, uh, you know, using drones and all of that? It's because we feel that every time someone dies unnecessarily, that it's a violation of the sanctity of human life. Um, I, I, I have something. You know, uh, just that's uh, uh, it's. Um, I wanted to turn, you know, just to turn the corner here in terms of some positivity. Okay. Oh, you got some jokes? No. Okay. Related to this subject, because uh, okay. we have to give it to Mark that he, he, you know, he made a couple of. Uh, uh, statements here that I think would help anybody and without having to have any kind of spiritual this, that, or the other going on, okay? Right. Um, you hate that word. Whoever heard of such a thing? You don't hate well, spirituality? I mean... I don't hate spirituality, but the word I am a spiritual person or I am a it, it just... You are the most spiritual makes... person I know. I mean, yeah, but, you read but... spiritual books and you, uh, you just, you know, there's so much spirituality swirling around you every time I get near you. Yikes. Um, okay, so... <laughs> oh, God, we're having a day today. Yeah, well, it's, you know... So you were going to say something I'm nice. going to say, you know, because he, he, there's a wonderful... A couple of things here that we should note. and In terms of the, the healthiest way to deal with trauma, okay? We've been talking about this, and every as we've said, everyone is facing that at some point in their lives. Absolutely. I mean, the big deals. Um, the, so the, uh, the healthiest way to deal with trauma is to lean into it rather than try to keep it at bay. The reflexive rush to normal is counterproductive. In the attempt to fit in, to be normal, the traumatized person and this is most of us, feels estranged. And I, you know, I think it's, it's close to, uh, we probably talked about this before, but in dealing with, uh, you, know, uh, you know, I think the last podcast, irregular thoughts, shall we say, you know, pushing them away, keeping them at bay, that is no solution at all. Embracing them. Um, you know, uh, have them sit down and have a cup of tea before they leave. It's that kind of uh, vibe that we need to engage with it. It's, it's back to my favorite Tibetan Lama. And y you're going to flip 
Trogium Trungpa Rinpoche. He swore, he said to me, you can never mention him again. We have mentioned him 14,000 times, but I, it, it applies here. And the fact is he got his students to, to engage with their quote-unquote traumas, okay, addictions, whatever it was, fears, in order to deal with them, unless they come, you know, and, and I, I believe... This is the same thing, you know, that, that lean into it means. I, I believe that he would probably, you know, this is written obviously for a mass audience through the times, but knowing his Buddhist uh, antecedents, I bet Mark would say, you know, that this, there would be a, um, a chod uh, practice, a tantric practice to engage your demons. So I, I think that uh, trauma, that's what it is doing. It is bringing up, you know, the demons. Can we, break, can, can we break that down a bit for our listeners uh, about leaning into trauma? Um, are we t- what are we talking about here? I mean, are we talking about certainly not repressing it and pretending it didn't happen? That's the first stage. Yeah. It, it happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does, okay, let's just posit that a very, very good friend uh, at a relatively young age has passed away quickly and, you know, and it, it just really, it really is terribly... Um, you know, sad, both for the family and for you. What does leaning into it mean in that case? I mean, what what do you do? So your emotions come up as soon as you get this word. I remember, I, you know, I was it was just it's sort of like uh, getting hit on the head with a hammer, a baseball bat. I mean, it you are devastated, okay, and it's a shock. So as soon as you know. Some of us, the first thing we do is back off of that shock in whichever way, you know, you, you possibly can. You know, some of it uh, n- not, not that compassionate, shall we say, and, and way more self-involved. It, didn't, it ain't happening here. You know, whatever. The most subtle level. But uh, basically, you have that shock. You have this tremendous disturbing emotion. So instead of pushing it away, and that la- it just goes on. As soon as every time you have the thought, because you get distracted, but then every time you have the thought, you are back in that devastating place. And it's a matter of, I mean, there are different ways to lean into it. I think y- you actually can just sit quietly and breathe in that emotion and breathe it out. That's one way. Using the uh, breath is certainly a way to deal with that and sitting and calming yourself that's and and but allowing it to be breathing it in and breathing it out breathing it in and breathing it out whatever that disturbing emotion is so i th- I, I very much think that's what mark you know we should have mark on by the way yeah we really we're, should we're going to do that folks i mean I'm, i just remember the video of after the boston marathon bombing uh, very shortly afterwards, they interviewed one of the young women who was a dancer who'd been very badly injured, uh, lost both her legs. And one can only imagine, you know, how suffering. terrifying it was for her. And what was so great, and it really was great, I mean, I just a big smile came on our faces when we were watching this thing on CNN, was that she was incredibly leaning into it. Because she said, I, you know, I've, I've lost my legs. I can't dance again. But there are many other things I can do, and I didn't die, and I have my arms, and I have my brain intact. And it wasn't just Pollyannish rubbish, because it's coming from someone 
you really have to believe, you know. I mean, come on. I was trying to imagine myself in that situation and the horrible whining and negativity that would come out of me inevitably. She just had the, what can you say? I mean, a character or the closeness to the oneness of, of the universe and of the, of the rightness of everything, something like that, that she was able to come out of it with this wonderful smile and everything and so inspiring to all the other people in the hospital who were hurt. Uh, and doesn't mean she know? wasn't sad and depressed at she was, times. She was. I am absolutely sure. Yeah, she was, but she used words to immediately... She knew she was on TV, but she didn't want to be a TV star, that was for sure. She didn't want... All she wanted to do was to let the people who were equally injured, because there were a lot of people who had similar injuries in that terrible thing, uh, to let them know that this wasn't the end of their lives. It might appear to be so, but that she herself was finding in herself uh, a strength and a, a radiance that was just... It was just sparkling. It was amazing. And inspired me, I'll tell you that much. Because, uh, you know, I, I, as I've said repeatedly, and I don't want people to dislike me for this, but, you know, I can get very het up. I don't know if that's a current expression. Certainly, It's an very, English expression. No, we've never heard of it over here. All right, then, well, het up means all kinds of hot and bothered about the fact that your football team just got slammed. Uh-huh. I mean, it's so ridiculous that in the light of what's going on in the world. But I think when Mark is talking about leaning into it, that young woman at Mass General in, in Boston really uh, was able to deal with it. Um, I, you know, I think another answer, for me at any rate, was reading and studying uh, masters who've dealt with this issue of trauma. And Shiva Nand is one of them. There's a book about the afterlife that he wrote, which is fantastic. His Holiness has written several pieces that came from lectures about uh, trauma and death and dying and illness, um, you know, and, and the great masters, the, the ones that write, have written about it, and the ones that don't write have radiated knowledge and fr- wisdom about it. So when Rhonda says death is safe, for instance... Well, uh, it's actually uh, Emmanuel, you know, the disability. Emmanuel, right. Yeah, Emmanuel, right, exactly. But he took it and, and, and restated it. And when Bob Dylan wrote the marvelous song, Death is Not the End which I recommend to everybody. It's on one of his lesser albums, and I think it's Down in the Groove or something, but it's a simple song called Death is Not the End. And I swear, after all the meditation I've done and all the whatevers I've met and people and Muktanand and everybody, that little song by Mr. Zimmerman, Robert Zimmerman, Dylan, just did it for me. It's a simple song sung to a guitar, and it just simply says that what we think is true may not well be true and usually isn't true and that a deeper and larger and much more sort of positive, optimistic, um, luminescent kind of reality is available to us if we can just get off our, our normal normalization, as Mark Epstein goes, going back to normal. It's like being at a dinner party and bringing up a point, uh, uh, you know, something that nobody wants to listen to and you talk and suddenly your voice is booming out and everybody's just... You're sort of poking at their peas and, 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 and looking at you like, why did you bring this up? Well, maybe a dinner party isn't the time to bring that up. But normalization forced normalization. Mm-hmm. That is, I'm not going to think about this. It's one of the things that Epstein is, is brilliant about here, which he's saying, don't do that because it'll come back, back yeah. at you in nuclear terms later because you've avoided it. It's very subtle, this stuff. It's very difficult. And it's so easy to, you know, to pontificate about it. And we won't do that. I mean, we try not to do that. What we're doing here is just going over somebody's, uh, a really smart person's, you know, someone who's both 
a, a psychiatrist and, and, and a, a, a spiritual uh, teacher is saying the one thing you must not do is close yourself off and pretend that it will go away. Uh, that, that, that doesn't usually work, does it? Dave? Yeah. We interrupt this programming with a note. Bob Dylan. What's the name of that song? It's called Death Is Not The End. Go to Amazon.com and buy that song. Death Is Not The End. I'm going to do it. And please go to MindRollingPodcast.com and look at the Amazon banner and hit that link. Bookmark it so that you can continue to buy stuff through that link and, and on Amazon and help support are the two little guys here who and also with audible.com the major ace audiobook company you get a free trial for a book if you want a book if you just want one book and, and nothing else then you'll get a free one uh, and then you have to pay for them after that but we do receive some benefit from your buying from our banner on mind rolling podcast website uh, and I, we just got a check yesterday actually so they're very honorable where's like, my part of it are you sending it to uh, me uh, I, um, he takes the money and he goes out and he buys clothes. No, 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 food. Oh, um, food? But, but you know, food is okay. You can keep the money, okay? Um, <laughs> but, but anyway, they do, they do send the checks, and please do it because it doesn't. You know, it's nothing off, no skin off your nose. If that's an expression that that's actually, also not very American. Um, I'm sorry, Dave. But anyway, I have to tell you it. too that uh, yeah. we the t-shirts are starting to sell out. That may what? be a bit of a, a, an exaggeration, but no, <laughs> people are ordering T-shirts. Our mind-rolling T-shirts are beautiful. That rust-colored one is fantastic. Uh, and I'll send you one one of these days. We've been one going on months, I, and I, I never seen, send them. No, I've seen them hanging in your closet. Yeah, right. I, I've got I six or seven. No, they're great. Buy that T-shirt because not only will it, just looking at the word mind-rolling will inspire you, but if you go to a club and you're wanting to find someone to be with, Everybody else will be wearing things that yeah, say right. Black Sabbath or, you know, whatever. You'll be wearing mind rolling and the best person in the club will come up to you and say, excuse me, what is mind rolling, David? <laughs> and you'll say, well, it's a great thing. You should get on mind rolling podcast. And there you're set. Unless yes. you make further mistakes, you know, you're, you're set. Boy, that's a stretch. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, I'm okay gonna, let's get I'm, back to misery. Let's get back to misery. Come no, on. Oh, God. I, I, you know. Uh, by the way, I'm leaving. Um, I will be gone when this podcast airs next week. Okay, I'm gone to India, and oh. David is going to try and arrange something so that I can I can call him and we can do podcasts from the Himalayas. Oh yes, really? Himalayas. relying on me for this, Mister Technical over here. Um, let's. Uh, t- sad. You know, there, there's uh, Mark's uh, final remark. Uh, remarks about trauma, I think, are are uh, pretty great. The willingness to face traumas. Be they large, small, primitive, or fresh, is the key to healing from them. They may never disappear in the way we think they should, but maybe they don't need to. Trauma is an eradicable aspect of in, life. Ineradicable. Ineradicable. Ineradicable aspect of life. We are human, and as a result of it, not in spite of it. Now, I love that last sentence. It's part of what we are as humans and how it is. You know, they say that the only plane of consciousness that you can become fully enlightened is the human plane. 
not any of the other uh, planes uh, of consciousness can you become fully free, not even in the, the God realms. So, that, th- so this whole thing of engaging with everything in life, and, and, th- and we're talking specifically about trauma, and leaning into it, rather than running from it or trying to keep it, as he says, at bay, is what, that's who we are as humans. And that's, I think also, wouldn't you say that that creates more compassion because you're not chasing stuff away. You're more able to be with people who are in pain. And, um, and uh, you know, I, th- I think that's really important, that human thing and... and 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 this is an opportunity. I mean, I, I, he doesn't talk about this in the article, but I'm I'm sure he'd agree, and we'll talk to him when we when we can do a podcast with him. But I I'm sure he he would agree that this is all opportunity to awaken. And that doesn't mean you're not in pain. And I think you know that's 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 a tough place to get to. No, but I, I think you're right, dead right actually, because uh, in my own case, uh, when my mother died. Uh, 25 years ago, I was with her, uh, and uh, she's the only person I've ever been with at the moment of death. And um, I was actually had my arm around her when she died, so she was already gone, and I was still holding her now dead body. And um, she had pancreatic cancer, which is a, a really difficult one, you know. And yeah. uh, my relationship with her death, I believe is much more placid at this stage, and I use that word very advisedly, um, because I went through the whole process with her, just as you did with Das, with your father. Um, my mother wasn't a particularly religious or believing person, but in the last few weeks of her life, she was inquiring all the time, asking me questions uh, that she thought I might be able to answer foolishly, but I tried. Um, and and being right, leaning right into her death, because I didn't know she was going to die that minute, but I made a practice every day in her cottage in Sussex um, of going for a walk on the beach only after I'd spent a good deal of time with her and then getting recharged, going out, breathing the ocean air, coming back in and hanging with her, as did my sisters. And we all felt a great deal of peace in the days following her passing. There was no gnashing of teeth. There were tears. So, and that's lasted with me for a quarter of a century now, that when I think of my mother, I can only think of her in this very sort of peaceful way. And so it's, the point is proven in my own case with that the most, losing your mother, um, you know, is, is like temporarily losing uh, a sense of the Divine Mother. And so you have to come back to the fact that the Divine Mother still exists uh, and so that means you have to come to terms with the passing of your own physical mother. Very much so. And I'm lucky in the sense that I wasn't 3,000 miles away, which could easily have happened. Um, and and, and Mark's, Mark Epstein's point about leaning into it, and the fact that, as you said, as you read, um, Raga, you read that trauma is an, an ineradicable aspect of life. We are human as a result of it, not in spite of it, is very healing statement, isn't it? Because it makes us, under, makes us understand that this is a natural part of life. Leaf falls off tree. Um, the, the tree does not suddenly stagger and fall over and go, I lost a leaf. The leaves will grow back. And I know that's a cliche. But I, every time I look at leaves falling off trees, I do think about the, 
cycles of life and the fact that we are but trees um, and we but lose things, uh, both our health and, our, our, and everything, but that that is a part of it. And if we really, really go into it without becoming obsessive, and that's a fine line too, uh, we will recover. We will recover and go back to um, some degree of, of um, balance and, and we will be sad, but we will not be broken. Difference. That, those are poetic words right there, Silver. Well, very heartfelt. I mean, you know, when you're, you know, no, they are. Despite my, but despite my not liking the word spiritual, I am. Um, yeah, you you're know. just, just, you know, it's just flowing off your lips, one spiritual aphorism after another. Well, um, you know, that's what. That's why we get paid the big bucks by Amazon. On this show. No, that's why you get to keep the money. Because you're the you're the brains behind the operation. Um, I, I'd rather <laughs> doubt that actually. Uh. Oh, uh, so a bit of a heavy uh, subject in in the way that uh, it's hard to you know to have much. Uh, by the way, having a sense of humor certainly helps, and not a sense of humor about situations. It's about a, it's a sense of humor about our watching, uh, witnessing our mind and the flip-flops it does from one thing to another, protecting ourselves. You yeah. hear something and you're protecting, you see yourself flipping and running away. And, you know, and, and I think Mark means a little bit of that when he says lean into it. You, you, you're able to witness yourself doing this stuff and you stop. You do not need to follow these thoughts of self-cherishing. You know, that's mm. one way to say it, the w- way the Buddhists talk about it. Just selfishness, self-involved, you know, because that's most of our thoughts. We we talked last week, I guess, uh, about, you know, the gospel of me, you know, and that this is all part of that. And the gospel of me would say, run from this shit, get back to your normal life, and God bless you, don't even think, you know, that's, mm. that's our natural, in, the mind's natural inclination. And then... If you can be out of that vantage, from that ego mind vantage, then you can see that leaning into it allows you to really engage with life fully, and that makes us human. Okay, I, we, that's enough of this already. I well, mean, you know, I mean, you came up with the article. We could have done something, you know, from uh, Louis C.K. or from Bill Maher, but no. Why don't we do something like that? <laughs> I mean, really. <laughs> because that's already being done, and you know, can't we talk to Louis C.K.? Um, no, but I know someone who looks like him, and you do too. But that's you know, we can interview him. No, I But you know, here we go. We, we just did this heavy broadcast about a uh, broadcast, whatever you call this thing, podcast mm. uh, about the you know this most the most extreme of human emotions, which is loss. And you know, let's not forget that. When Buddha came out of the, the, the enclave, which was his palace, and soon to be the king, that, you know, he, he was let out once, and he saw an old man, and then he saw him suffering, and he was ill, and he, didn't, he was freaked and said, oh, God, I never saw this inside the palace. What is this? What is this old man crawling on the ground? I can't believe this. Is this really the way it is? And that's why he went under the Bodhi tree for so many years and meditated and, and then wrote all the sutras and, and taught us all about 
impermanence and passing and the fact that it is a natural part of life and that, you know, we can't get too crazed about it, even if we feel so sad. Like this morning on Facebook, I see so many people who are just traumatized by the death of the actress Karen Black. Now, she was a good mm. actress and a special person, I know that, but it is interesting how freaked people get by the death of people they've never met. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's kind of odd that, really, when you think, but it just goes to show that uh, all human beings feel for other human beings and that, uh, you know, one person was just absolutely devastated by, by Ms. Black's passing. Uh, she was 74, but she'd been ill for a while. People really liked her. They just identified with her because she was quirky and she was creative and she was beautiful and, and she did something for people when she, did, when she was in her, in her films and plays. So, you know, we feel for that, but um, I think uh, maybe it's important to not get too, too sobby, too, too completely wiped out uh, by people we don't know. Uh, because you know we don't know them. All right, it's, Dave. You, you know, I just want to say that that's that's okay. all. I'm just I'm a bit of a naysayer on that subject. Can I read a long poem? Yeah, read something. Yeah. We are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make the world. Speak or act with an impure mind, and trouble will follow you, as the wheel follows the ox that draws the cart. We are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts we make the world. Speak or act with a pure mind and happiness will follow you. As your shadow, unshakable. Look how he abused me and hurt me. How he threw me down and robbed me. Live with such thoughts and you live in hate. Look how he abused me and hurt me. How he threw me down and robbed me. Abandon such thoughts and live in love. In this world, hate never yet dispelled hate. Only love dispels hate. This is the law, ancient and inexhaustible. You too shall pass away. Knowing this, how can you quarrel? How easily the wind overturns a frail tree. Seek happiness in the senses. Indulge in food and sleep. And you too will be uprooted. The wind cannot overturn a mountain. Temptation cannot touch the man who is awake, strong, and humble, who masters himself and minds the Dharma. If a man's thoughts are muddy, if he is reckless and full of deceit, how can he wear the yellow robe? Whoever is master of his own nature, bright, clear and true, he may indeed wear the yellow robe. Mistaking the false for the true and the true for the false, you overlook the heart and fill yourself with desire. See the false as false, the true as true. Look into your heart, follow your nature, and reflecting mind is a poor roof. A a, I'm sorry, an unreflecting mind is a poor roof. Passion, like the rain, floods the house. But if the roof is strong, there is shelter. Whoever follows impure thoughts suffers in this world and the next. In both worlds he suffers, and how greatly when he sees the wrong he has done. 
But whoever follows the Dharma is joyful here and joyful there. In both worlds he rejoices, and how greatly when he sees the good he has done. For great is the harvest in this world, and greater still in the next. However many holy words you read, however many you speak, what good will they do you if you do not act upon them? Are you a shepherd who counts another man's sheep, never sharing the way? Read as few words as you like and speak fewer, but act upon the Dharma. Give up the old ways, passion, enmity, folly. Know the truth and find peace. Share the way. It's called Choices. Guess who wrote that? I really don't know. Obviously, it's an ancient something, right? Yeah, yeah. It sounds. It sounds like. It sounds Vedic to me. I mean, it's, it's really old. You know? Yeah, it's it's Buddha. It's from it's the a, Dhammapada, which are, uh, uh, you know, uh, I don't know what a hundred years after he left the Buddha, left uh, died. Uh, so the arhats, the sages, and so on, got together and wrote down his words, um, and and they're together in these shlokas that make up this book called the Dhammapada. So I just happened to find this thing, and I thought... It's amazing. Hmm. Uh, Dave, could you put that up on extras? Because we have that on mindrollingpodcast.com. Dave's got extras where he... Uh, Put you know he'll put up the Dhammapada and he'll uh, what else which, did we which uh, part oh, and Dylan part? you got to put up that Dylan song okay I'll do that yeah yeah and I'll, it's I'll yeah uh, this is called choices from the Dhammapada and I don't know which shloka that is um, I will try and help you on that one although not in the near future no I'll, t- I'll I'll take a good look at it because it's there's sort of nothing to be said after that I mean it's similar to the uh, the one God if you think of God you are Dust, if you think of dust, you are. Verily, thoughts are things. As you think, you become. Yeah, you but are. But except, it, it, yeah, I mean, yeah, and that's that. That really don't want to say too much more about it, anything except maybe Amazon.com. Go to it on our site and help us support uh, this podcast. And, oh, and thanks um, for the donations. People are just sending us yeah. donations too, which are you know really yeah. thankful. This this stuff does cost us and. We we do put a lot of energy in it, and being straightforward about it, you know, it's great to get uh, the feedback we're getting. That's both energy and letters that we get, and emails we get, and also uh, donations or Amazon or whatever you do. So thank you, and uh, I will see you. Um, boy, it'll be a while, Dave. Yeah, can oh, I just do a you. shout out to Corinne, uh, Cora, actually, who did send a donation to us, and we're very appreciative of. Her donation, I believe she's in Singapore, but I'm not quite sure. Really? Uh, yeah, the, you, you know, you sent me the thing. I, it, it's beautiful and, and, and really, you know, we really appreciate it because it, it, it helps us keep this thing moving. We don't right. like to keep advertising and advertising, so it does make it easier if just send us a little money and that, that helps. Um, so <laughs> yeah, that's you're saying. You send us money, and you won't have to hear this bullshit. I mean, yeah, I, I don't yeah, it's think like so. PBS. You know, you you're get crazy <laughs> from those PBS guys who are asking for it. But if you don't send money to them, they they keep asking. That's they the keep, thing. Yeah. Well, no one is given in the, a few foundations and other people. We don't even have foundations, so um, you know, we just have you, and that's we 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 love you. We do love Thank- you. 
and and uh, we, we're happy to be doing this. And and if we, you're getting anything out of it, we're getting even more. I think. And by the so, way, uh, Dave's uh, putting together, and I will try in the at a future date, uh, great blogs uh, that are either you know talking about what we've had on the podcast or any kind of subject that comes to his mind. But uh, Dave's a great writer, and I think you'll really enjoy them. So go up to mindrollingpodcast.com and take advantage and tell your friends. And we love you all. And yeah. uh, see, yeah. you, uh, see you next time, Mind Rolling Podcast. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye-bye.